This afternoon I preach to you the Word of God as it is summarized and confessed by the church in Lord's Day 22 of the Heidelberg Catechism. If you'd like to read along, you can find that on page 536 in the Book of Praise. Here the church confesses, What comfort does the resurrection of the body offer you? Not only shall my soul after this life immediately be taken up to Christ my head, but also this my flesh, raised by the power of Christ, shall be reunited with my soul and made like Christ's glorious body. What comfort do you receive from the article about the life everlasting? Since I now already feel in my heart the beginning of eternal joy, I shall after this life possess perfect blessedness, such as no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man conceived, a blessedness in which to praise God forever. Beloved Church of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, traveling around, you'll notice the appearance of a plant depends on a lot on where it is rooted. You might be driving on the highways and you'll notice that trees growing on, growing on and, and out of the rocks on the mountain tops, they tend to look small and, and spindly, but trees growing in mineral-rich valleys, they grow tall and majestic. The appearance depends on where Plants are rooted. The appearance and lifestyle of human beings also depends a lot on what beliefs that person builds his or her life upon. If you believe that the sovereign creator of heaven and earth will decide where you spend eternity based on your love for him in this life, then you will show this by the way you live. And in Lord's Day 22, you do confess that you believe that. You confess that you believe that your soul does not die, and one day it will be reunited with your body. You confess, question and answer 58, that your worship today is just the beginning of a blessedness that will continue after this life, that you will praise God forever. That's what we, that's what you confess. And so now the question is, how does your life show that you believe these things? The teaching of our Lord Jesus in Luke 16 gives us a picture that makes us think very carefully about that connection between our lives on the earth right now and our eternal situation. And whether we call the, the story, the teaching, a, a parable or not, the picture that Jesus presents in vivid detail teaches important realities about how everyone is accountable to God in heaven for their actions on the earth. Not everyone, says our Lord Jesus, will be carried to Abraham's side by the angels. But some 
like that wicked rich man that Jesus spoke of in Luke 16, will go to the torment of, of Hades, which the NIV translates the torment of hell. Well, with this story, Jesus warns the world, but even more specifically, God's covenant people. You'll notice that he's talking in the context of verse 14, the Pharisees, covenant children, who were lovers of money, ridiculing Jesus Christ. They're now hearing this, this warning that it's dangerous to root our lives in the temporary comforts of this life rather than in the solid promises of God. And as he teaches and warns the world and his covenant children about their priorities, he also shows us how we can live in a way that shows that we are already beginning to experience eternal joy. You'll notice in our catechism we say, since I now already feel in my heart the beginning of eternal joy. So we have to ask ourselves, what is that beginning of eternal joy look like? The Lord Jesus says it's not what the rich man, his life, but it's Lazarus' life. The appearance of a person who sees his treasure in heaven is unique. It stands out. And I preach to you this gospel. The Holy Spirit roots our hearts in the eternal kingdom of God causing us to love others with all generosity, patience, and urgency. So it's a well-known story we read together, Luke 16. And when you start reading the story, you feel happy for the rich man. He has a house with a gate by the road. Sounds like quite the mansion. Rich purple clothes also refers to his linen Underwear was expensive. Underwear, fine linen, underclothes. He had sumptuous meals. We look at that, that looks good. And, and it's, we even ask, isn't that what, what so many of us are working so hard to get? And so the Lord Jesus draws us in to think about the picture. But we read the next line, and right away we don't like the rich man so much because there's a contrast with Lazarus at the gate. And we change our mind about the rich man quite quickly. For the starving man at his gate, we read in verse 21, he, he kept on desiring to be fed. The rich man wouldn't even give him the crumbs that came from his table. And when the rich man left his house and went through his gate, he could have seen that Lazarus was covered in sores, receiving attention from wild dogs who would have made him unclean. And the Lord Jesus tells us this because those same wild dogs that made the rich man disdain Lazarus even more would end up serving as witnesses to condemn the rich man. For although they were mere unclean wild dogs, they were showing more compassion to that poor Lazarus than the rich man was. And by telling us what the rich man did not do, our Lord Jesus teaches us what God wants us to do. As we think about the parable, we realize that the main issue that our Lord Jesus is addressing is a person's attitude. And he even mentions that 
He talks about, verse 15, God knows your hearts. God is looking at your hearts. The money isn't the main issue, but the money is an issue. It's a symptom of how, you're, how you use your money is a symptom of what is in your hearts. And so what do we see when the Spirit is in our hearts? Well, the first thing we notice our Lord Jesus shows us is that when you have the Spirit in your hearts, you're able to see suffering. You can't just walk by it and not see it. So the Lord Jesus, he helps us to, to think about that, and he puts us in the place of Lazarus. Very vividly, we, we imagine, we can see the scene of dogs licking a man, starving man who's, who's, who, who's desiring to have just a bit of food. He makes us think, what's it like to be a poor person? He makes us feel uncomfortable with wealth that we hoard, we hold on to without using it for the kingdom, whether in this life or in the life of our children. Christian generosity, we see, is, is first of all recognizing need. And sometimes the deacons can have a role in helping God's people recognize the need. Maybe they investigate where need exists and they help to identify needs and they, they tell us as a congregation where we can help, whether in the congregation or in our neighborhood or, or beyond. Perhaps that may even involve some field trips to places where true poverty can be witnessed. We learn what it is to, what poverty looks like. We learn how to, to help. There's inner city tours of Edmonton organized by the mustard seed so you can learn to see need. Maybe you can go in your travels, you, you get off the beaten path and you learn to see need. Perhaps that could also involve conversations about the best way to show Christian love. Once you see need, the next question is, well, how do you, what's the best way to help? We'll see that it's more than just giving money. It's more than just lobbying for a change of laws. But it is a question of ongoing support for the vulnerable in our society. The Lord Jesus shows us this has to do with our eternal life. This, these questions, the work the deacons are, are leading us in. And at the same time, we know that generosity isn't just something we leave with the deacons. Every one of us can feel the call to use our resources in the kingdom of God, and we can feel that call when we learn about the needs of the Emmanuel congregation, or if you're a visitor, your own congregation. Maybe you read it in the church news or you hear it in the congregational prayer. It's a, it's a call to ourselves. And so when we talk to those in the foyer who are, are suffering, we're seeing. We, we need to see need when it's in front of us. Loving God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength, that continual fire of worshiping in the presence of the Lord means showing empathy, not just pity, but empathy and imagining what the people around you are going through. Like the Lord Jesus did when he talked about Lazarus, he, he makes you imagine what that's, that's like. Well, we do the same thing today. 
We ask that, that question of ourselves. Imagine if you were that person beside you, that sick person, or that injured person, or that unemployed person, or that married person, or that single person, or that visitor. Put yourself in, in those shoes. What, what are you feeling? What are they feeling? What do they need? What do you have dangling right in front of them that, that they would, would love to have a part of? And once we see the need, the Lord Jesus shows us that it's cruel to leave someone desiring the crumbs of our tables. He says, to, to use the picture of the example of Luke 16, or you can think of the Good Samaritan, leave a man wounded without bandi bandaging him, getting him on his feet, and then also supporting him. That, that man, the Good Samaritan, also gave money for, for after when the man got better, the time of recovery. And all this, the Lord Jesus is showing that, that that true worship, that true love of God in this life is not just words, it's also deeds. And as we're faced with these realities, as we read Luke 16, as we connect that to eternal life, we, we realize that we are all recovering materialists. We need to really meditate on what it means to be rooted in the eternal kingdom of God, to live with your roots, with your mind, with your heart in that kingdom where everything is, is ours already in Jesus Christ. And so the Lord Jesus teaches us today to see our wealth in light of the promise of eternal joy. And then he shows us that wealth can either be used to glorify God or it can be abused, and the abuse of that wealth can even prevent you from entering glory. Very strong language. Because when death, that great equalizer, came, the Lord Jesus says it did not end well for that cruel rich man. The rich man found out that when he had been walking past that poor man at his gate, for all those years, without ever helping him, he was not experiencing the beginning of eternal joy. That's not what the eternal kingdom looks like. He was living in a different way than, than people in the kingdom of God live. In fact, he had been making his neighbor's life a living hell as he would experience when he was in hell and didn't receive relief for his needs. And so our Lord Jesus is very clear that the eternal kingdom of God is filled with people living in the beginning of eternal joy, which means being generous. The kingdom of heaven is filled with those who love to be generous with their prosperity. People with an eternal perspective, know that those lines of disparity, the distribution of wealth in this life, it's just temporary. It doesn't say anything about the heart. It doesn't say anything about the person. We have a picture of eternal perspective which doesn't look like things look like right now. In fact, the rich man found out it was exactly the opposite. 
Things don't need to stay the way they are here on the earth. That's a great encouragement for those who are suffering. It helps us to have patience. Because Lazarus was a very poor, a very wretched man on the earth. He had no physical gifts to, to give. He had no prosperity. It was picture the definition of absolute poverty. Really the only way for him to show generosity was to keep on loving that man who refused to show compassion to him. And yet, we confess that as a child of God, Lazarus already could feel in his heart the beginning of eternal joy. Part of that eternal kingdom. And so we see that his beginning of eternal joy, that our confession promises for believers, could only be found in the promise that one day he would receive his good things, his comforts in heaven. And so our Lord Jesus encourages us to be patient when hardships and tribulations come our way in this life. And he, and he urges that patience by telling us what's to come. He says, Lazarus was carried to Abraham by the angels. From dogs to angels. From poverty to patriarchs. From rags to riches. Well, we confess that when we die, we also will experience that our souls will immediately be taken up to Christ our head. If we believe this, that brings us that comfort now, no matter what our situation looks like. And on that day, we will see that after death, the only thing that counts is the human heart. Souls in heaven have very little use for earthly riches and possessions that they cannot hold in their hands. The opinions and the praise of other people on earth do not mean anything after we die, if you stand before the judge of heaven and earth. God does not condemn people just because they are rich or else Abraham wouldn't have been there to receive Lazarus. Abraham had been a rich man. Also, God does not condemn, sorry, God does not justify or declare people righteous just because they are poor. Lazarus wasn't received into heaven because he was poor. Abraham was not received into heaven because he was rich. Those things don't matter when you think about the eternal kingdom of God. The poor Lazarus stood at the side of the rich Abraham, and they both stood apart from the rich man of the parable, the story, because he had been cruel and selfish all his life, and he never repented. Look at the parable. Look at verse 24. Look at how much that rich man knew. He called Abraham his father, which indicates that the rich man saw himself as a covenant child that Abraham addressed him as. Abraham calls him his son. He was a covenant child. He had the promises. He had the, he had the knowledge like a baptized member of the church. 
And moreover, we read that the rich man knew about Moses and the prophets. And worst of all, we find out that the, that he, the rich man knew that the poor man had been there at his gates all those years. He even knew that his name was Lazarus. He knew all these things. But even from the torment, the anguish in the flame, the rich man does not repent. But he arrogantly tries to order Lazarus to fetch him some water like some servant boy. The rich man's heart had not changed. But the Lord shows us that in heaven, Lazarus was protected from his oppression. The rich man could only speak through Abraham. Father Abraham spoke on Lazarus' behalf and protected him from that arrogant rich man who had been so cruel to him all his life. Lazarus could finally see what his name means. His name means God helps. And our Lord Jesus' teaching in Luke 16 shows us that although God's help may not always be so easy to see in this life, especially when we receive bad things, and, and, and so many times it's bad thing after bad thing after bad thing, we can't, we can't imagine what else could go wrong, and, and there it is. The Lord Jesus tells us that this suffering, the short time of suffering, will be followed by eternal comfort. So he encourages us to be patient. Our confession encourages us to be patient. And as we reflect on Jesus' parable, we can see that the beginning of eternal joy that we confess in Lord's Day 22, that beginning of eternal joy may be nothing more than the joy that comes from our faith in the promises of God about what is to come. Just as Lazarus was carried to Abraham's side to grant him what he hoped for in all his suffering, so also we believe and we confess that one day our souls will be lifted up to Christ Jesus, our head. There we will be comforted as we wait for the day when our Lord Jesus will be revealed and our flesh raised by the power of Christ, we confess, shall be reunited with our souls and made like Christ's glorious body. Oh, my dear despairing, afflicted, and oppressed, and sick, and injured, and broken, and depressed, and grieving, and afraid, and overwhelmed, and tired, and wretched brothers and sisters, God has promised more for those who love him. One day, we will be able to worship him with all our heart and all our soul and all our mind, all our strength, with healthy bodies and souls. So the Lord tells us, and how many times in the Psalms do we read this? He tells us, be patient and wait for the Lord. For God will remove all evil. He will remove all cruelty. He will remove all wickedness from the earth. And this is good news for those who love the Lord. And since we love our brothers and sisters, since we love every other creature that God made 
in his image, it also gives us a sense of urgency. Because when we believe what the Lord Jesus reveals about eternity through the story of the rich man and Lazarus, we realize that our time on earth is important. It's a short time. It's a short time, but it's an important time. In Luke 16, verse 26, the Lord Jesus shows us that the separation of Abraham and his faithful children, he calls that us, from the rich man and the rest of rebellious sinners, it's like a fixed chasm that no one can cross either way. The Lord Jesus tells us that the rich man, in the anguish of Hades, he understood that his time for repentance had passed. He, he accepted it without complaining, probably because the rich man could not deny that he still didn't want to worship the Lord, that he still saw Lazarus as an inferior servant who was sent to be sent around at his bidding. He still didn't believe in the power of the Holy Spirit who works through his word. It's just like the Lord Jesus teaches and we read about in Revelation. Although there's no longer an opportunity to repent after death, people in the torment of punishment don't even want to. Revelation 9, verse 20, with all the punishments it reads, and they refuse to repent. They gnashed their teeth in anger against the Lord, even from their torment. That line is drawn at death. If you look at the text, and you might see, think at first glance that the rich man's request for his brothers looked like maybe he was repenting. We quickly see that he was not expressing the godly sorrow that leads to repentance that the Holy Spirit speaks about in 2 Corinthians 7. The rich man was sad that he was suffering, but he was not sad about his sins. The rich man's words to Abraham show his defiance against God, for he mocks the power and the efficacy, the, the, the power to, to work change that the scriptures have, the scriptures written by Moses and the prophets. He pleads instead for the resurrection of Lazarus to convince his brothers. He doesn't believe in the power of the word. He doesn't believe in the, in the word that the means of grace that God established. But again, he wants Lazarus to serve him like a slave. But God knows that hardened sinners will kill any evidence of his power. You can see that in the, what happened in the, after the real Lazarus rose from the dead and how the Jews responded. They wanted to kill him. You read about that in John 11 and 12. The Lord knows that even if someone rises from the dead, they won't convince them if they don't accept the word of God. Verse 31, we read that. If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. So Abraham confirms for the rich man that his brothers need to repent from their sinful lives while they were still on the earth. But also that they can only be saved by submitting their lives to the means of grace, the Bible, that God established. 
And so we see that conversion and repentance is truly a miraculous work of God. We're thankful that we believe. We see that it's the work of God. But we also see that it is a miracle that God regularly works through the preaching of the Word. God has to change hearts, and He does. And He does it through the preaching of the Word. And this is the important point of Jesus' parable that the church needs to take hold of. You know what is coming. You know that chasm is fixed. You know that now is the time to repent, and you know how God works this conversion and this repentance. You believe that, and then you see why that preaching of the gospel is so urgent. Moses and the prophets, they spoke of Jesus Christ, the Savior, and this Savior who rose from the dead to life, to give life to everyone who believes in him. The preaching of the gospel is the means that God uses to change hearts. And if you believe in the resurrection of the body, and if you believe in, in everlasting life in Jesus Christ, and you care about the people around you, then you see the urgency of spreading the gospel message. Jesus Christ is the only way into the presence of God. We saw that he fulfilled the burnt offering. And real change of heart can only take place through as the Spirit uses the Word as his instrument. And those who truly love God, who truly love their neighbor, will use every opportunity to tell others the hope of the gospel. That urgency helps us to see that actually every conversation we have could be the last. Act as if every conversation you have with others is your last conversation. What do they see? What do they hear from your mouth? What, what will bring them to ask you for more information about the hope that lies within you. Luke 16 really makes us think about our lives. Where is my life rooted? If I'm passing by an opportunity to share the gospel, why did I pass that opportunity by? What was I so busy with? Where is my citizenship? Do I believe in the resurrection of the body and everlasting life? Is that where my roots are? And can you see that beginning of eternal joy in my life? And so we ask, am I somebody who's generous in prosperity? Am I somebody who's patient in adversity? Am I someone who lives with an understanding of that urgency of our time here on earth. That's connected to our confession of Lord's Day 22. Do I believe in the resurrection of the body and everlasting life? And your answer to these questions, brothers and sisters, it has eternal consequences.
That's what our Lord Jesus taught us in Luke 16. This is what we believe. This is how we live. Amen.